right, if y'all open up your Bibles and turn them to 2 Kings chapter number 22. 2 Kings chapter number 22. I said we were going to look at spiritual gifts today, but I'm taking a break. It's hard teaching. Sometimes you just want to preach. 2 Kings, chapter number 22. Y'all are a little rusty on getting in the Old Testament now, aren't you? At least I didn't pick a minor prophet today. We'd be here all day. All right, Zechariah. 2 Kings, chapter number 22. Don't get mad at me. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Bosketh. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Let's pray. Amen. So here in the book of Kings and... and, uh, You may have been for the lessons, but what I like about the book of Kings is it tells you up front, this king was good, this king was bad, and it just calls it right out. So in verse number two, it says, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father, and turned not aside to the right hand nor to the left. Right away, you know what kind of life the king lived here in the book. If you turn over and go to the chapter before that, over in chapter 21, you see an entirely different picture. It says in chapter 21, verse number one, and this is Josiah's grandfather that we're looking at here. He says uh, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. They started young, amen, and reigned 50 and five years in Jerusalem. So that was until he was 67, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Can I just make a statement this morning? That's the way it's going to be written on your life. God's not going to look at your life and say, this man was wealthy or this person was wealthy. Man, they were successful in business. They had all kinds of friends. You know, you go to the funeral and you kind of judge it by the length of the funeral. I know going to Brother Grady's funeral... Man, we, we about lost people. That thing was so long. All them preachers that went to Brother Grady's funeral, there was probably 300 people that went. And, you know, I know that's not a lot compared to Miss Sylvia's family. But <laughs> she's got that many grandchildren, amen. <laughs> but, when brother, <laughs> but when Brother Grady passed away, that was my pastor, in case you don't know. When, I, when we were at Calvary Baptist, you know, there are certain places in your life, there's these certain points in your life you look back and you, you just, these things had an effect on you. And Brother Grady had an effect on me because he was faithful to God. He wasn't a big-time preacher. He wasn't fancy. He wasn't, in, he wasn't an, a high intellect. He, he, he wasn't one that got into the Greek and the Hebrew Matter of fact, one of the things I remember him saying most was, whoopee. 
we go to the Jubilee meetings and Brother Grady's sitting up on the front and the preaching get good and he, he's sitting up there with a handkerchief. Whoopee. Y'all may not understand that, but when you're at Jubilee, that's one of them good sounds you like to hear. But Brother Grady, when he passed away and there was that line of cars and then uh, at the funeral home at the viewing before the whole line of cars and everything, we had them packed up. Calvary had never seen so many people inside of it. But uh, at the funeral home, they were, they were going down, down to the casket. The line was going in the door. You follow the line, it came out the door. It went across the parking lot, and then the line doubled back. And there were people waiting to just pay their respects to Brother Grady. I hadn't seen that before or since. And as I walked the line, because I was the associate pastor, it, it moved me up. I, I was helping him. I didn't ask for it, but I had started preaching under Brother Grady. This is, he had a lot of impact on me. He was the preacher I surrendered to preach under. You know, summer, Mama called and Daddy sent. I just, I just repented, and I said, Lord, okay. It's like he had his thumb on me till I squealed. I said, Lord, okay. But Brother Grady was toward the end of his life, and he was having trouble breathing, and he was, he was in the hospital a lot, and they made me the associate pastor to help him out. And as I walked down the group of people, and let me tell you something, at the end of someone's life, and I'm walking down that group of people, and I'm introducing myself and saying, I'm his associate pastor. It's good to have you here. Thank you. I'm sorry the line's so long. Oh, no, no. We don't mind that. i never seen such a happier group of people. They were, they were fellowshipping together out there. They didn't mind standing in that line. They went down the parking lot and wrapped back around. This one line was talking to this line as they passed by. And as I walked by and I shook hands and I met a woman and she said, Brother Grady was there to help my daughter when she was going through a rough time. Somebody else said, Brother Grady was there when, my, when me and my wife were going through a rough time and Brother Grady was there for us. Now, Brother Grady had never pastored a church over, over 200 people, I don't think, maybe 100. At the time that he passed away, the church only had about, what, 25, 30 in regular attendance. But he was faithful to God. He was faithful to be there on Sunday. He was faithful to be wherever God sent him. And he never got on TV. He never had a big name, but his name is written in heaven. And those people... As they get to heaven, Brother Grady will look over there, and he'll, he'll, he'll see them, and they'll say, thank you. Thank you for pointing me to Jesus Christ. Thank you for being faithful to me. And uh, it had a bad, big impact on me. So when you look here in the book of Kings, and it, and it writes the epithet on their life. For Josiah said he walked in the ways of the Lord. He did, all that, he did that which was right as his father David. And you see written on Manasseh's life, Manasseh, 57, 55 years, was it, as a, as a king in Israel. And his life is marked by what he didn't do for God, by what he did against God. And this is Josiah's grandfather. Now Manasseh's dad was Hezekiah. It's just getting a little bit deep here, but just so you know, Josiah's great-grandfather Hezekiah walked in all the ways of the Lord. He followed the Lord. And let me tell you something. The point of this is your heritage isn't determinative of your life. Your mama 
may have gone to church her whole life, that doesn't put you into heaven. Your daddy, your mama may have been bad. They may have been the worst parents on this earth. That doesn't determine what you become. That doesn't determine that you're a bad person. That doesn't determine that you're not going to follow the Lord. Because Josiah had those parents, but he walked in all the ways of the Lord. Your life is determined by how close you walk to the Lord, how you fellowship with the Lord. And you know the rest of it will just come. Brother Grady didn't get up in the morning and he didn't say, well, look, how am I going to help today? i got to mark this down. I'm going to put this in the back of my Bible. Who am I going to help today? What am I going to do? Brother Grady, get on his knees in the morning, he'd pray. The Lord would speak to him. And he'd say, yes, Lord. And that's all that we need to do as servants of God. We need to be willing to say yes, Lord. Amen. When he moves on your heart, when he puts someone in your way, when he, when he puts something in front of you, if you just say yes, Lord. It may not be pleasant. It may scare you. It may make you uncomfortable. You just say, yes, Lord. Manasseh said no. And this is just for background. This is in the introduction. It says, it tells you why he was bad. And he did, verse number two, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed and he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove as did Ahab king of Israel. He's being compared to Ahab now. And made a grove and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built up altars in the house of the Lord. Let me read that again. And he built up altars in the house of the Lord. Now we know from the Ten Commandments, the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You're not to worship idols. And he didn't just build up idols and go out in the field and worship them. Manasseh said, This is a nice house. I want Baal over here. I want Ashtaroth over here. And he set them up in the house of the Lord. Oh, we cringe. But you know, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We set up idols in our hearts. We set up things within us that get in the way. We set up things that we worship before God. You may not intend to, but that's the thing that you put before God. Oh, what are you talking about, preacher? I don't know. I know what God shows me. What does God show you? That's what's in between. What is it that gets in your way every time you go to worship? What is it that gets in your way? It comes to mind every time you kneel down to pray. God may be trying to speak to you. The Holy Spirit may be trying to show you something. And you just hadn't said, yes, Lord, I'll get rid of that. But he builds these things up and he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the house that was meant to worship God, the house that was built for the Holy Spirit to dwell in, for the Shekinah glory of God, that cloud in the Holy of Holies, where the sacrifices were made for the sins of the people. And he put other idols in there like it was just any other building. And he made his son pass through the fire. And over in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, it says he made his children to pass through the fire. Now, if you don't know what that is, we have a modern-day thing called Planned Parenthood. When they would sacrifice their children, they would call passing through the fire, and they had that big old statue of Moloch, and he had that big belly on him, and they'd have that fire in there and get cherry red in that thing. 
oh, this is an evil picture now. This isn't PG. And they would take that child and they would say, for, for wealth, for prosperity, for a good life, and they would sacrifice their children to that God. You can imagine how that made God weep when they did that. And here is the king of Israel, the king of Jerusalem, or the king of Judah, that's doing this. He's defiling the temple. He's passing children through the fire. He's causing all of Judah to sin because he's the leader of the people. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. I've been doing a little mourning. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And this is what was set up. These were the things that were taking place. And I read all this to you so that you realize what happens when we get back to Josiah. Y'all got some time today, right? He said, And he made his son pass through the fire and observe times and use enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a graven image of the grove, pay attention to this, that he made in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house. In other words, what God said to Solomon and David, he said, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers. But there's a condition. He says, only if they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they hearken not, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil, pay attention to that, more evil than the nations than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. In other words, if other nations were looking at Israel and they were saying, whoa. That's a bit too much for me. So we go to go to uh, verse number 19. We're looking at the heritage of Josiah. It's after Manasseh passes away at the ripe old age of 67. Just because someone's evil doesn't mean they're not going to last long. He had a whole life. And then his son came along, one of them that wasn't passed through the fire. said Ammon was 20 and two years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulamith, the daughter of Haraz of Jokbeh. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh did. He didn't last long. It said that he walked in all the way that his father walked in and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. And he forsook the Lord God of his fathers and walked not in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and slew the king in his own house. And the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against the king of Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his stead. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon which he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his sepulcher in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah, his son, reigned in his stead. So Josiah starts out at eight years old. His dad, his grandfather, was one of the most wicked kings, made the other nations blush with the things that he did. 
Ammon comes along at the age of 22, and he reigns two years before some people had enough of him. We don't know why they slew him. When you've got that much wickedness going on, there's no telling what they had in mind. But they're punished, and somebody comes along, and they put his son as king. So Josiah becomes king at eight years old. I got to think that somebody was teaching Josiah that all this other stuff was wrong. And that's another point. The heritage, your heritage doesn't determine your future. Your heritage doesn't determine how you are today. It can affect you. It can haunt you. But with God's power, you have the power to overcome that. Your walk right now is determined by how you fellowship with God. The end of your walk, the end of this life is determined by your fellowship with God. All those other things that take place, they've taken place before. They'll take place again until the end of the world. Until the book of Revelation comes and it seems like it's getting close. It seems like things are lighting up on fire. You might not be hearing about Australia, but I tell you what, there's more cops going down the road than you'll ever see around. Well, I don't know how to explain it. I just know they're being locked down. They're being choked for not wearing a mask. They're being kept indoors. They're, they're, and, and anyway, let's get back on the sermon. Somebody say, thank you, Keith. <laughs> I'm trying. But Josiah, eight years old, somebody was teaching him. You can change what happens while you're here. Your children can be taught differently. Those that the Lord puts in front of you, help them, teach them in the ways of the Lord. So that teaching seemed to take effect because Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adai. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. If you go over to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, we don't have to go there. It would just take more time. But it shows he's tearing down the altars. I want you to take note of something here because what we're going to find is as Josiah begins to reform things, The first thing that he does, he's walking with the Lord and he begins to tear down those altars. He walks into the house of the Lord and he says, these altars shouldn't be here. These idols shouldn't be here. He begins to tear things down and take them down. Those things that his grandfather had put into place, those things that his father had worshipped for those two years that he was king. And he begins to tear down those idols. In our own lives, you want to get your fellowship back with God? One of the first things you have to do, or if you want to get your fellowship with God, and you know the answer to this, the first thing you need to do is you need to walk with the Lord. You need to walk in the right way. You say, well, I don't know that much Bible. I don't know much of this or that. Let me tell you something. The first thing you need to do is put your eyes on Jesus Christ. You're going to walk with the Lord, you better have your eyes on Jesus Christ. There's so many people that want spirituality in their life. And they say, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to church. And I'm going to, I'm going to take my kids to church. And I'm going to put them in school. I'm going to put them over in this school or that school. The first thing you need to do is get Jesus Christ in your life. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You're not going to go up any other way. You can be spiritual. You can be pious. You can be, you can be putting your hands together in prayer and praying to God. But if you're not praying through Jesus Christ, your prayers are reaching past the ceiling. Jesus Christ comes first. Josiah had a walk with God. Then he looked around and God began to show him things. He saw those idols and altars and he began to tear them down. Those places that people were worshiping, he said, this isn't right. It's very simple. These idols are worshiping other gods. We want to worship the God of Israel. This doesn't belong here. And that's what he knew. In order to walk close to God. God begins to show you things as you begin to follow Jesus Christ. You turn your life over to him. You say, Lord, I can't get to heaven on my own. But you died on the cross for my sins. I trust you for my destination. I place my trust in you for my final destination. That's the first step. And then God begins to show you some things. The conviction begins to take place. Let me tell you something. You get somebody that just gets saved and they come off the street and you all know this. I know that you know this. That's why I'm still here. They're broken. They're dirty. There's things in their life that may not be right. Let me tell you something. Somebody just gets saved, you better not be giving them a list of rules. You better be pointing them to Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit will begin to show them things. You just give them a list of rules. They say, oh, church is just rules. You begin to point them to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit talks to them. And as they're out, as they get up in the morning, they begin to do something in their life that they used to do. And they say, this isn't right. God begins to show them in their heart. And it's very simple. It's very basic. God works with you right where you are. And we need to understand that about people when they come in. We need to understand that when we're dealing with someone out there. Oh, she's living with somebody else. Does she know Jesus? Oh, they're off in drugs and they're off in sin. Do they know Jesus? They need to know Jesus Christ. You're not going to reform them. You can bring the pig out of the field and you can put lipstick on it. You can curl the hair, straighten the tail. Do everything that you think is make it look right and dress it up. It's still a pig. You find a person, you point them to Jesus Christ. He's the one that does the cleaning. Amen. Josiah tore down the altars. There's a right walk, a removal. If you're going to get close to the Lord, there's a repair that needs to take place. For some, it's that, that first thing, that, that first building. For others that have gotten out of God's will, it's a repair that takes place. Look with me, if you will. Verse number three, And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, to the son, the son of Meshullam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people. And let them deliver it unto the hands, hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord, 
follow me, to repair the breaches of the house. Unto carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. We'll get to verse number seven here in a minute. The next thing you need to do. You got your walk right. God begins to show you things and those things begin to come out of your life. You need to repair your fellowship. The temple was where Israel went. The temple was where the Jewish people went to worship God. That was where they met with God. That was where their fellowship with God was. That's where the sacrifices for their sin were made. And you can imagine how this place was after years of idol worship, after years of wickedness. The dirt in the corners, the lamps unlit, the idols over there, the cobwebs, the dust. You know, here in Texas, you leave a garage alone for a while, it gets pretty nasty, doesn't it? I know in Georgia, we had a shed, and I didn't go out to it too often. Go out there, and there's a big old spider out there in the wall. You'd see that thing, boy, it looked like he was bringing a bird in from outside. It was hard to want to go in there and clean it up. But Josiah, he's been doing this, and then in the 18th year, the Lord lays it on his heart, said, clean up my house. And he sends them out. He's gone out to see the temple and the doors hanging off the hinges. Cobwebs in the corner. The curtain's ripped and it's old and it's nasty. There's blood everywhere from where the offers have been made to other gods. He says, take the money that's been offered and, and, and everyone else can offer money. But we're going to repair the breaches. Bring the masons in to clean up those chipped stones. Bring, bring the carpenters in to fix those wooden doors. Repair the breaches. In your own fellowship, there's things that fall apart in your relationship with God. When you get away, with God, get away from God, those things begin to crumble. That fellowship that you have with the Lord, that sweet time that you have when you first got saved and you could look up to God and you could say, Lord, I'm trusting you on this. And you go and, and he delivers you through that situation. And you, you could just feel like you were just walking side by side with Jesus throughout your day-to-day walk. You'd get up in the morning and you'd read your Bible. You'd get up in the, you'd go to bed in the evening and you're saying your prayers and you're thanking the Lord for what happened that day. But you begin to get away from God. You begin to let the idols take over. You begin to let the other things take over in your life. The temple begins to crumble. That fellowship with the Lord begins to crumble. You got to do some repairing. Now look at verse number seven. Because something begins to happen. It says, Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully. They began to deal faithfully. I, I, I look at these people and I say, 55 years of watching their king sacrifice to other idols. 55 years of a king that didn't care anything about him because he sure didn't care about his own children. 55 years of a king just bringing this wickedness on the nation. How many of those Israelites, how many of those Jewish people, how many of them, as they watch that king sacrifice to other idols, I don't want anything to do with that. But they still had to suffer under what was taking place. 
said, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Josiah comes up and he begins to rebuild the temple. You know, when you look in the book of Nehemiah, you see the hope in their eyes as they begin to rebuild the walls. You, you see the eagerness as they begin to rebuild. Let me tell you something. God begins to open the word of God to you as you're rebuilding your fellowship. Your eyes begin to open up to the things that he's showing you. There's a light. I can tell you if I hadn't read the Bible for a while or I, even when I do, but you get that moment, you sit there and you read, and it's just like you've read it before. But there's just something that warms your heart. It's just knowing that God's talking to you. Let me tell you something. You say, oh, I don't worship a Bible. No, you don't want to worship a Bible. You don't want to say, behold, Israel, this be the God's, this be the God that took you out of Suffering out of sin. This isn't it. But this Bible is the only way we know about Jesus Christ. Amen. The purpose of this Bible isn't to be worshipped. No more than the Holy Spirit is to be worshipped. The purpose of this Bible is to point you to the one who is supposed to be worshipped. Let me tell you what happens. When you begin to let that fellowship degrade and you, 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 let, the, you let the temple begin to crumble, you start making up your own things. You get outside the Bible, you say, well, I just believe. Well, I just think. Me and the the man upstairs, we have an understanding. No, you got an understanding with a God you made up. Because you had no understanding what God wants of you. It's not to be made up. This This is the book that points you to what God wants. It's not a list of rules. It guides you. And there's things that God set out, said you do this, you're sinning. It points you to sin. It points you to wickedness in your heart. It points you to righteousness. It points you to the one Savior. No, you don't worship the book. But the book leads you. You get over there in the book of Judges, one of my favorite passages is, uh, and I didn't come prepared with it. <laughs> I know, because I can't remember his name right now is why I had to say it. But his mother complains about losing her money, and he had taken her money from him, and she said, I had set the, wholly set this aside for the Lord. And so he takes that, he, he returns that money to her, and then they dedicate part of it to the Lord. Not all of it. She had wholly set it apart for the Lord, but they take a little part of it. They build him a house out back. And the the Bible tells us in the book of Judges over and over, there was no king in Israel in those days. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And he builds a little house of idols. He says he's worshiping the God of Israel. A Levi comes along from the priesthood just by relation, just by family, but he comes wandering through. And he says, son, be a son to me and a priest. I'll hire you. I'll give you wages. And you can work in my little house here in the backyard. And you can be my priest and help me to worship the God I've set up. And he's so proud. He says, now I have me a Levi to be a priest. Boy, he's got it going on. But when you know your Bible, you know there's nothing 
There is absolutely nothing right about what he has set up there. That phrase, and there was no king in Israel in those days. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You get away from the king of books, you're just going to do what's right in your own eyes. You'll set something up and you'll say, this will please God. But you ever open it up, God will show you what he's not pleased with. Look with me. There needs to be repentance. Verse number eight, and Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. Oh, there's something that happens here. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you what's taking place. Because the first thing Josiah did was he walked with the Lord. Your relationship with Jesus starts with Jesus Christ. The second thing he did, he began to tear down the altars. There was a removal of things in his life. Then the next thing he did was he began to repair his fellowship. You know, that's discipleship. You begin to slowly take things away, but you're adding things in. And he begins to repair the fellowship with God through the repair of the temple. Now look what happens. It's been in there the whole time. All of those years, 55 years, people walking in and out. And there's those idols lined up. And they walk in and they say, oh, we're worshiping these gods. And God's word is quietly sitting in the back in some cabinet or in some place in a corner It's unlit with dust piling on it. And it's sitting back there and those scrolls are just buried back there. And they're they're preserved because the priests that put them there cared about them. But they're just buried back there. People didn't even know they were there. They begin to clean up. And then God reveals his word to them. Said, look, I found the book of the law. They don't even know what's in it. They just know this is the book of the law. And they begin to read it. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work. They have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it. Before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. It's a sign of mourning. You know, other places you read in the Bible, when they begin to hear the word of the law, they begin to tremble. Josiah was doing all right, wasn't he? He was walking in the ways of the Lord. He got rid of the idols, he began to repair the temple. When that book of the law came out, he, he began to tremble. He began to, he began to mourn. He began to rip his clothes. Because as he's sitting there and he's listening and all these things, and he hears the words, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I know. He may have heard that warning that was given to his grandfather. Turn back to 21. Verse number 10, and the Lord spake by his prophets, the servants, by his servants, the prophets, saying, because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him and hath made Judah 
also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth the dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies, because they have done that which was evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came forth out of Egypt even unto this day. Manasseh didn't act on it. It said, moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other beside his sin, which wherewith he made Judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. So Josiah, who had been walking with the Lord and began to, to put things together, and I tell you something, it's an ongoing process. A lot of people make a mistake and say, I've reached here. I've reached the pinnacle. I'm in fellowship with the Lord. Everything's going good. And then God will show you. Well, let me just show you this other thing. Josiah wasn't ready for this yet because he was still working on this. And God began to reveal to him the real problem. Josiah hears that judgment. You know, it's judgment that makes people repent. That's what we spent all summer learning about the law. It's not just the law. It points to your sin. But putting them in the courtroom before God. If you were to stand before God on the day of judgment, would you be guilty or innocent? Would you go to heaven or hell? That's the judgment that makes people repent. That's the judgment that brings tears to your eyes. I'd go to hell. There's no more question. There's no more waiting for the day and saying, well, my good may outweigh my bad. This may outweigh this and that. There's none of that. I've sinned. I've broken God's law. And there's judgment. And when they reach that point, when they realize, I'm headed for hell. All this that I thought, all this that I had reasoned out, and I'm on my way to hell. We saw it during the summer in the videos. You see the change going from, oh, yeah, <laughs> to the courtroom. Would you, would you go to heaven or hell? And then all of a sudden, I'd go to hell. Manasseh reaches that point, and he says, God's mad. We may have done all these things, but these idols that we took out, that stuff that I took out, that stuff that was cleaned out of the temple, there's a penalty that needs to be paid for all of that. We're going to have to pay it. And he weeps. There needs to be repentance. You know, God looks on the heart. It's not words that you say, oh, I'm sorry, go, Lord. You know, some people, they'll say, I'm sorry. I know I'm one of them. I mean it. There's other people who say it and don't mean it. I mean it. They apologize and they don't mean it, but God looks on the heart. And here we see his heart. 
Verse number 12, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Achor, son of Micaiah. Verse number 13, Go ye inquire of the Lord for me and for the people, for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according to all that which is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Achor, in verse number, uh, they went out to hold the prophetess, the wife of Shalom. And now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they communed with her. And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, verse number 15, God of Israel, tell the man that sent you to me. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read. She just confirmed it. And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, tell the man that sent you. And then verse number 17, Because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands, therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard. And here's his heart. She says, because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me, I also have heard thee saith the Lord. I just want to stop right there for a minute. God sees your tears. Something that's been on your heart. Somebody that you've been praying for. Somebody that you truly weep for. God sees your prayers. He sees your tears and hears your prayers. You think he doesn't hear. You think he doesn't see you. Your heart's for that person be saved, your burdens for that person to be in the right way, God sees your tears. In the Psalms it says, he's put them all in a bottle. He's bottled up your tears. He knows your pain. He knows your grief. He walked on this earth. He knows about the heat. He knows about the cold. He knows about that nagging pain that you feel for that loved one that you've been praying for, for that friend that you pray for. And God heard his, saw his tears, and God saw him weep. And he said, verse 20, Behold, therefore I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I shall bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. And the last thing that needs to be done, you've begun to walk with the Lord. You've got a right walk. You begin to remove those things in your life to get away from, and that's an ongoing process. You take away one thing, there'll be another thing. So don't think you just because you took down those idols. There's not another one building up over here. You want to always be watchful. 
You begin to repair your fellowship with God, your prayers. God begins to open up his word to you. But it's not just reading his word. It's seeing what he's trying to show you in your own life. You read in his word and you begin to see the things that need to change. Anger. Selfishness. Not thinking about other people. Whatever it may be. You know, the Bible lays out a hard requirement. It said to him to know what to do good and do it not. To him it is sin. God shows you. But there's a repair. There's also a renewal. The Bible talks about renewing your mind. He begins to reveal his word to you. And there's a repentance when he reveals it. James says, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. You're to act on it. That's obedience. You say, well, you know, I just don't hear God's voice talking to me and all that. And I just, well, that's in a way that's good. Because if that's all you're looking for, the devil's going to step right in there and whisper in your ear. If that's all you're looking for. I tell you what, there's going to be times God moves on your heart. You can obey it or not. But you'll miss out on what God's already. I like that this morning in Sunday school. It's not that you do it for reward. When you do it, it reveals what God already had prepared for you. Your obedience reveals what he already had prepared for you. So you become a doer of the word. Chapter 23, verse 1, And the king sent, and they gathered him unto him all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. You know what's interesting about this? The king didn't get up there and say, this is what I read in the book. This is what I read in the book. He read it for them to know themselves. You to know the word yourself. And the king stood by a pillar, verse number three, and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and their soul to reform, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. Finally, there needs to be a rededication. You had to make a commitment. Your walk with the Lord doesn't happen by accident. Your fellowship with God and those things, you... I hate the word. Because it's, you know, every now and then society, a certain group of people grab onto a word and they use it over and over. You read a modern book and they talk about being intentional. I hate the way that sounds, but you can't argue with what it is. You have to be intentional. You have to make up your own mind. I've told you all over and over, Sunday morning isn't going to happen on Sunday morning. Sunday morning church doesn't happen on Sunday morning. You go to bed Saturday night and you say, well, when I get up in the morning, I'll see how I feel and we'll, we'll go to church maybe. Sunday morning starts on Saturday. We're going to be in church tomorrow morning. I remember when I was out of church one time and I had been out 
It doesn't matter. I had been out of church. God had blessed us. And there I was in the lab at the power plant. And I said, Lord, Didi, I called Didi on the phone. I said, Didi, God's been good to us. He's helped us through this. I need you to get in the phone book. I need you, we're going to tithe. But I need you to get in the phone book and find us a place to give. And I'll just give you that little bit of story. For the longest time, she swore the ad in the phone book was that big <laughs> for Calvary Baptist Church. We made up our mind and we went there on a Wednesday night and we gave our check. But they were right in the middle of a revival meeting. And Miss Hazel, she said, oh, just please, can you come on tomorrow night? Well, I've been out of church. I didn't want to make any promises. But we'll see. We'll see. We came back Thursday. Well, can you come back tomorrow night? So we came back Friday. By the time Sunday came around, we were regular church attenders. <laughs> we made up our mind that we were going to be in church. That church was Calvary Baptist Church. And the pastor was Brother Grady Stokes, my pastor that I surrendered to preach under. See, when you're obedient, then God can reveal what he's already prepared for you. If you'll stand...